Hi, it's Johnny Jenkins here and you're listening to the Johnny Jenkins Show podcast, which is my show from Raw 12, 51am without all the music. I hope you enjoy. Leave my car to get open on Raw 12, 51am. It's the Johnny Jenkins Show just after four o'clock, wishing you a very good afternoon. And um, here we are in the second hour of the show with the panel. We've got plenty to talk about because it's been another one of those weeks where, where a lot's been going on. Um, three panellists today all here to chat about the issues of the week. Um, let's start just because we're talking in the last hour about um, uh, the the Royal Charity Week, raising loads of money for the British Heart Foundation. And uh, Enoch Makunga, who's on the panel today, um, hi Enoch, he's the head of news Hello. at Raw. Um, it's, it's great to have you today. Um, and you've been real, you know, real part of this charity week, haven't you? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone in exec has worked really, really hard to get me push this forward and make such a mass success as, as it has been. Um, I think also you you were pretty bold as well, um, Johnny. You were you were amazing on Warwick Idol the other night. I have to say, You're hashtag judge- head judge Johnny. That that's what you should need to refer to me as from now on. You know, the Simon Cowell act comes naturally to you. I have to say, you were a real <laughs> real master of it. Yeah, well, Do you know, yeah, although the, the, the meanie on the panel wasn't me, it was Luke, Luke Methuen, <laughs> the SU president. He, he was a harsh one, don't you think? Oh, yeah, oh, well, yeah, you know, but he's, he's president. He has to assert his authority somehow, especially when he's judging a talent contest. I suppose so. Um, as of uh, yesterday, you know, how much have we raised? We have raised £783 of our £1,250 target. Because twelve fifty one a.m. of course, and that's that's the amount yeah. we're going for as always. Um, last year, I'm just trying to think because it normally does all those sort of overnight broadcasts and yeah. big live events and uh, all those things that that we long for now. Um, how much was raised last year? Like roughly, do you remember? It was, it was a lot, wasn't it? I I think we got to two thousand in the end last mm. year, but I don't don't quote so. me on that. <laughs> it was it yeah. was around that. You know, it was it was an awful lot of money, and it's all it's all to the British Heart Foundation, isn't it? That's that's the raw charity for this one, isn't it? And Enoch, it's all in aid, really, the British Heart Foundation, isn't it? Yeah, all in aid of the British Heart Foundation, a fantastic charity chosen by the Royal Exec. Um, I think it's something really close to our hearts. Oh, I see what you did there. Um, and, and the other thing that's happening is there's all these sort of like mini challenges, isn't there? And one of them is the um, the Rawdom Act of Kindness. So it's something random you've got to do uh, once you've been nominated. And, and I was um, nominated by one of the station managers, Lucy, uh, earlier this week. And so my random act of kindness, uh, if, if you didn't catch it, was um, she gave me a song request and I played it out on the show for her. We did. We had a we had a dance of Dancing Queen a little bit earlier on. Um, okay, well, Enoch, it's very good to see you. It's very good to have you. And uh, let's uh, welcome our next panellist uh fast becoming a regular and i think it's fair to say now friends of the show will kingswood hi will hi how are you yeah not bad you know fine um and i'm looking out the window to um gorgeous snow we've had good snow in essex this week uh what's it like on campus uh on campus we had a small dusting i think it was monday or tuesday but nothing like uh what we've had down south i've seen like i'm from kent so my parents have been sending me photos of like the four or five inches they've had covering rows in the gardens yeah, it's like proper, thick, good snow, because I've been complaining for so long that everywhere else has had it and we haven't. But, oh my gosh, we have had, um, we've had a good amount of it. Other than that, Will, what's, what's life in the world of Will like in week five of term two? Life, I think life in the world of Will is just trying to cope with everything that's going on. I think that's one of the unique things about PPE degrees. You have to switch focuses quite quickly from politics to philosophy to economics and back and forth and back and forth. And at the moment, I'm just trying to make sure I can keep up to date with that. Well, I hope, I hope it's all going okay. Do you get a, you, PPE is a bit weird, isn't it? You, don't, you get a reading week for some parts, but not the other. Yeah, so we get a reading week for politics and philosophy, but not for the economic side. 
So you'd have thought they'd week, have done something about that by now, wouldn't you? I guess it's because uh, they're all managed by each of the departments. So politics, philosophy, and economics departments all combined together. So they're not really oh. like in sync with one another. Well, well, I'm certainly looking forward to reading week. None of this sort of half in, half out. I'm, I'm completely, completely off off uh, grid for next week or so. And our final panelist today is Leonardo Palmer, who joins us. Hiya. Hey, a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to see you. And is it, I think it's your first time on the show, isn't it? It is, yeah. I'm not sure why I've not been on before. But yeah, oh no, gosh. it is my first time. I, I have been listening to the odd one here and there when it pops up. But yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, well, welcome. It's good to see you. Some people, the, the, those that are perhaps slightly older in their degree, will know you as, <laughs> as, a, as, as a former societies officer at work. I was, yeah, um, from 2018 to 2019. Seems like a, so long ago, but yeah, no, that did happen, yeah. And there's, because um, we're starting to find out sort of who the candidates and things are for this mm-hmm. year, and, uh, you know, we're not really allowed to get, get into all that. But um, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of experience, if someone maybe is looking at, you know, all the process now and thinking maybe next mm-hmm. year they might want to be one of those full-time officers, would, would you just mm-hmm. say go for it? I would say so. If you've got the passion and the drive and you have a firm idea on the direction for the Students' Union and for the university, go for it. There's always a possibility that you'll get traction. Um and it's you should, nothing to lose, really. Even if you're first year, second year, third year, fourth year, postgraduate, I would say definitely go for it. Um, there's always a great opportunity to learn new skills, to meet new people, and to actually push your ideas out there. And that's the most important thing. Just motivate yourself and challenge yourself to try something new. And there's all sorts of other positions. You know, if you don't want to go mm. necessarily for full-time one, there's, there's part-time positions, but there's also like committees and things you can get involved in there's, there's loads of different avenues and and your face was was one of the first you know that you have those sort of massive signs in the student union yes. your face was one of the <laughs> massive signs that i saw when i first arrived at warwick um anyway very good to have you on the show today and here we Thank are you. panel uh, we've got plenty to talk about getting into these uh quarantine hotels which which kick off on monday they cost an awful lot of money you know i think 1750 pounds for an 11 night stay um and I mean, what I thought was funny on that was that you, the, the sort of booking site, it was like 10 days, 11 nights. You know, when you're going on holiday, it's like, <laughs> we're going for eight days, seven nights. And it, it, it really made it sound like an excursion. Uh, we'll talk about those quarantine hotels in the Mo, plus the vaccine target, the big one uh, for Monday, the top four priority groups, those most uh, vulnerable to the virus, those on the front line. Are we going to hit that target on Monday? And how have we come this far? Plus, reading week this week, we're halfway through the second term. Uh, how's it going? Are you still at home? And uh, how are you finding things? We uh, discuss those issues with the panel in just a mo after this song called One. There we are, One on Raw 12.51 AM. It's the Johnny Jenkins Show here with you until five. And the quarantine hotels kick off on Monday. These are for people arriving from 33 red uh, list countries coming into the UK, really to try and stop the spread of new variants. New variants we knew about before Christmas. Here we are a month and a half later that they're not quite open yet. And they're going to cost £1,750 for the uh, 11 night stay. Leo, what do you make of all of this? I think it's in line with the current government's uh, dealing with the pandemic, very slow, very inactive. Uh, you can see at the end of March 2020, Australia put in a very similar rule, uh, quarantine hotels, and that worked effectively. Why are we doing it now in 2021 towards the end of February? It's come too late and too little to save so many lives, especially now with the UK uh, at one of the highest rates per death per capita. Uh, and it's shocking, really, that it's taken this long to actually take a proactive 
approach from the government. So your view is that actually we should have been doing this, well, almost a year ago? Yeah, completely. Uh, I think even when the first uh, coronavirus outbreak hit the UK, there should have been discussions about quarantine hotels or temporarily shutting the border down or at least something along those lines. But there was nothing. And I think it's systematic with uh, the Tory government's approach of making sure the economy is not hit. And that's completely wrong. I do think you're spending nearly two grand um, on the stay in the hotel. It's uh, It must be a welcome injection of, of money for the hotel industry. Oh, completely. I think it, the hotel industry is one of the, those sectors who desperately do need that cash. But I also do question what hotels have been selected. Um, as we know from uh, what has been reported, that those people quarantining will be escorted outside by security guards. Um, and that just seems a bit prison-like and I would question why they didn't select hotels with more ample open spaces so they can freely walk around rather than being escorted by someone uh, so this is basically a security guard looking after them 24-7. Well surely we need this tough action to stop the new variants and uh, that there's going to be people in the hotel that that come on sort of day one other people their day one is going to be a bit later and you don't want to come across one another um, Really, really, surely you need these top security. It's all about saving lives. It is about saving lives. And I also question, you know, the, the staff members working there as well. They're going to be working there um, five, six days a week as well. Why why are they also being placed there without any protection? Maybe instead of all this mass security, there should be some sort of medical professionals there to treat uh, or advise uh, travellers for the staff as well, their well-being, because everything, everyone's important. It's not just those travellers coming in. And I also just like to raise one point about the 33 on the red list. Um, Botswana, as of yesterday, had zero new cases of coronavirus, and they're on that red list, whereas the United States isn't. And that just goes to show that the, the list is completely wrong. And it is perhaps a show of inherent racism in this government. Uh, they're just picking countries and underdeveloped countries um, to put on this red list. But their big trade ally in the United States isn't because they clearly want to keep some sort of uh, trade happening, even though they are a massive amount of cases in the United States at the moment. Yeah, it's just, you see a bit more of, of a, a political choice of which countries mm. to put on the list. I mean, there's 33 countries that when you land, you need to go into the hotel. For mm. all of the other, what, 250 plus countries across the world, you take a test before you leave. Once you arrive, you sign this passenger locator form, which you can have 10 years in jail, by the way, um, if you if you lie on it, if it's incorrect. I mean, that, that's certainly the headline that, that the government wanted to see this week. Whether that's actually going to happen is, is a whole other story. Um and then when you come in, whether you're in that quarantine hotel or whether you're at home, you need to take tests on day two uh, and day eight. But Will, what, what do you make? Do you think that uh, we, we need to have quarantine hotels for every country, not just 33? I think it's really hard to say because if you had quarantine hotels for every country, you'd probably overwhelm the ho like the possible hotels we could use. I do question like what what 33 countries have been selected. Obviously... I think if we go back to the Botswana example, I think they probably selected it because it borders South Africa. And obviously there's the risk that the South African variant could transmit across the border and then into this country. But I would almost say that by now, it's, it is shutting the door after the horse has bolted. It's not really worth it. 
because it does seem that the Kent variant is now the dominant one. And I've read that the Kent variant is looking like it's going to be the dominant one throughout the world just because of how transmissible it is. So it does seem a bit pointless now that we're implementing this policy so late and it's coming in on Monday the 15th of February. Yeah, that's an interesting point because when the Kent variant came in, or we first learned all about it, um, the the tiers the tier system was in. We weren't in lockdown by then, were we? And and Kent and London and Essex and the South East were put in real tough tiers, and that was supposed to be enough to contain the variant. And that obviously didn't work. So the record of handling these variants, will it is it, hardly golden. And. Um- yeah, I think it's not great. I think no one really anticipated how transmissible the Kent variant would be. I think it's like very, very transmissible. And that's why we're seeing it grow so like much in the US in, and many other countries around the world. And you might even see it in some countries that seem to have the virus under control could be beginning to see a second wave just because of how transmissible this variant is. Do you know what makes me laugh when the um, the medics were on the telly? And because we're talking about it's a Kent variant, the South African variant, Brazilian variant. And someone asked them, you know, one of the top medics, they say, what do you think of the Kent variant? And they say, well, you know, the B186345 variant, uh, which, which which some people call the Kent variant. It's like, no, we all call it the Kent variant. Um, but, but it's an interesting point you make, Will, that actually that seems um, to be all around. I want to come to the costs, though. The cost of these hotels, nearly two grand. That does include two tests which uh, if, if you're not in a hotel and you've still got to take them is I think over 200 pounds, you know, they're, they're quite expensive procedures. Um, Will, what do you make of that? Nearly 2000 uh, pounds in a hotel. It's, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Honestly, I think these hotels are now more of a deterrent than a managing policy. If you're charging two grand for a hotel, that's obviously going to put like people off either going abroad and then coming back because they have to pay two grand to go to these hotels and it's going to put people off coming here because again they have to pay two grand i think it's i would just say it's more of a deterrent for travel over like any management policy to stop any of the variants coming into this country yeah let's let's turn to you enoch because i'm sure you've been following this closely as well um it's a lot of money it's coming in perhaps too late and um there seems to be a lot of downsides to the way this policy has been handled what are the upsides you really stuck the deck against me there okay um what are the upsides well the the upsides are while it is one we can say it's too late it is something that is it is a good idea we should try implementing um you know what the cat you know the fox may be out of the head how i don't actually remember what's the phrase about the thing you 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 lock the door after you lock the stable door after the horse has yes there we go that's it the horses may be long gone, but we can at least make sure that the, we can at least try and close the door at this point. Um, maybe there's still one horse left inside that we can try and keep out. Um, the South African variant is here. We need to start managing that, but we also need to start preparing for future variants. It's not just about what's happening now, but it's what's happening in the future as well. And do we need to do this for every, for every country? I, I definitely, I think I agree. With, um, I agree that the red list is uh, atrocious right now. It needs to be far better managed, uh, especially it's, completely un- nonsense america's not on that list also parts of europe need to be on the list as well i understand why it's happened but it doesn't just does not make sense um yeah i, I so yeah i think it needs to be more either more expanded or we actually start focusing on people who are causing problems 
Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, uh, looking forward to the future, you know, so we need to stop the new variants because we, we expect this to happen. Um, we're in a position where, where we expect new variants to develop and uh, not just in the UK, but around the world. What I don't know if you saw this, Enoch, of um, Dido Harding, who was the chair of NHS Test and Trace, but has sort of you know, quietly disappeared um, yeah. since many failings in that scheme. Um, she said, oh, we weren't expecting new variants. Uh, they all caught us by surprise. And that, I don't think we need to be epidemiologists or virologists, words we didn't know a year ago. I don't think we need to be that to know that, that viruses mutate and we, we find yeah. new ones. I mean, look, there's a reason she's disappeared. Let's, let's, just, let's just say that and leave it there. There's a reason she's not going to TV anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> What's the reason? Uh, I think just that one sentence you said there summarised everything wrong with her entire approach to this pandemic. And in fact, in many ways, the government's approach to this pandemic, where they sort of... They refuse to anticipate the future in any way, shape, or form. So, in perfect examples, back in the summer, they saw cases going down, and many of them were like, "It's over, fantastic, let's reopen," and immediately cases start going back up again. And they go, and then they sort of pull a surprise face, like, "Oh, I didn't expect that to happen." You know, the government is happy to sow, but it's completely incapable of anticipating reaping. But did you go out and eat out to help out in August? I I didn't, because I, very crucially, oh, and this is my saving grace. Say, so I was, I was tropping, uh, planning that to say, well, you're the problem. And I thought, actually, yeah. I, I went and did it. I, I, very crucially, I had no money in August, oh, okay. so I couldn't go out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I had no money. Well, we've got plenty more to say, I'm sure. We're talking about the vaccines in a, in a moment and, and how that rollout is uh, going. We need to reach a few more people to hit that target on Monday. Before we go to this song from Sophie, I know, Will, you've got to head to a lecture. So thanks for coming on, Will, and we'll see you very soon. Thank you very much for having me. This song from Sophie is called Bip. Holocene there on Raw 12, 51am. It's the Johnny Jenkins show uh, here with Enoch and Leo talking about the big issues of the week. Let's talk about vaccines because that's something uh, that we've done very well as a country, as a government. As um, We're doing very well. We're doing far more than other countries. Of course, we do all need to be vaccinated, not just in the UK, but in other countries for this all to go well. But we've got this target on Monday um, to reach the... Uh, top four priority groups, those over 70, those that are shielding, those that work in uh, health and care. And it's important we, we get to that target so that we can keep vaccinating later on. Enoch, I suppose you must be very impressed by how the vaccine rollout's going. Yeah, I think the vaccine rollout has been the exact reverse, mirror reversal of everything else the government's done this time. Um, they acted early. They were willing to spend big money, even when it didn't look very certain what was going to happen. They anticipated the future by buying multiple different options. Um, Kate Bingham deserves a big, big praise for what she's done. And also, um, I don't say this very often, Matt Hancock as well, because he was really the pusher of the vaccines. And got, I, I know it sounds baffling to praise Matt Hancock of everyone in this pandemic, but he was a really big pusher for the vaccines when not a lot of people in government doubted it. So, Because he'd seen the film Contagion, this is what we learned in the song this week. In the film Contagion, and um, in the film, they didn't have enough vaccines or whatever. I haven't seen it, yeah. but that was the gist I got. And so they, they'd said, oh, we're going to order X million. He said, no, order loads more. I've seen the film Contagion. Um, yeah, well, you know what? Um, I'm glad that his Netflix view saved our lives. That's all I'm going to say, because otherwise, right now, we'll be in a fight with the European Union over a few doses of Pfizer um, when we're really just swimming in vaccine. That's perfect. You mentioned the name there, Kate Bingham, who is the uh, was the chair of the UK Vaccine Task Force until uh, Task Force until the end of last year. Now, um, I've interviewed her, and we've we've done quite a lot of interviews through her with her where I work, and I, I've always found her very very good to deal with, and um, you know very open. But part of the reason is because she's got a great 
and she had a great PR team behind her, uh, promoting not just uh, her message, but also promoting uh, a vaccine registry. So there'd be sort of people there that could, that could have drugs trials on them, uh, people from, from diverse and minority backgrounds a lot of the time. And there's been a lot of criticism of her uh, because of this PR. I don't know how much you followed this, Enoch, but you mentioned her name, so we'll delve in a little bit more. Um, where do you stand on this? Do you think, actually, well, money's no object when it comes to, when it comes to safety and vaccines? I mean, look, we, we, can have, we can have two comparison points. One's a vaccination program, one's a test and trace program. Test and trace program, the government was all, sometimes hesitant to spend the money necessary. I'm thinking of the situation working with Google to get that up, up, up and running. Vaccination program, they gave Kate Billingham everything she needed at all times. One of them has worked tremendously, one of them's not working so well. So you can, just looking at those, we can see the money was well spent. Okay. Um what are you making of of the vaccine rollout so far, Leo? Because I'm I'm aware me and Enoch have spoken about it on the, on the show before, but but you and I haven't. Do, do you do you share the view that it's all going very well? I think credit where credit's due. For once, the vaccine program here in the UK has been phenomenal, and it's beaten so many other countries. Um, as into the target, I'm not sure if we will reach it. I know that there's a study by the National Care Forum showing that nearly half of care homes for older people have more than 30% of the staff yet vaccinated. Not yet vaccinated, apologies. Um, and obviously the target being Monday, so you know, we'll see how well that vaccination programme is going. But it's also nice to know that by the end of February, we'll start to see 16 to 24, 16 to 24 year olds with underlying health conditions starting to get that vaccine, which will include some Warwick students. So that is of relief as well, that progress is being made. Yeah, and I think at this stage, we all probably know someone, or if not, we know somebody knows someone who's had a vaccine. Um, mm. and, and we're starting to see people closer and closer to us. So th- th- that's really interesting you raised there about care workers, because obviously they're you know, one of the top priority groups. We can do the number of vaccines required to hit that target, but whether they're to the right people, the people over the age of 70, those in he- health and care, those that are shielding, if you can't reach those people then you can do millions and millions of vaccines, but you can't hit that target that, that, that was set. Yeah, and there's a reason why there's a top four target groups. And if you can't reach those targets, there's you know less hope to reaching every other people. Um, we need to make sure that everyone who has who is in those target groups gets vaccinated because they are in the worst case scenario. They deal with um, critical people. They are working in hospitals, care homes. We need to make sure that they are the ones you get the vaccine first. They, we can't see uh, other people trying to buy a vaccine. I've seen some reports, I'm not even sure they're true, that um, professional athletes are paying um, staff in the NHS to get vaccines for them. Uh, and it just goes to show that there needs to be a bit more cohesion with where the vaccines are going. We need to make sure the government takes a proactive approach to make sure those uh, the top four targets are met by Monday and then we can continue the rollout program of the vaccine. So the general theme is the rollout's going well, but who do we credit with that? Because when test and trace uh, failed, and I think it's fair to say for, for a very long time it did fail, um, which Enoch has mentioned a couple of times, um, the blame was pretty much put on the door of the government and maybe on, on, on the private company, uh, Serco, which, which is in charge of the test and trace system. When the vaccine rollout goes well, most people praise the NHS rather than praising the government. Um, so where does this credit go? Enoch, I want, I want to ask you that. Um, do, we, do we say actually the NHS is doing well or do we say the government's doing well? Uh, well, you mean 
NHS government owned, so surely they're both doing. I think they're both doing well. I think the NHS couldn't do what they were doing at government's previous successes in getting the vaccines, and the and I think the government with its reliance last year on lots of private companies didn't quite measure up. I think mean, now it's learned its lesson. The NHS is doing a much better job in getting the vaccines out there. So I think both of them deserve a bit of credit here. Leo. Yeah, definitely. I think also we need to go praise the scientists heading up uh, SAGE as well. Without their advice and the guidance, the government wouldn't be able to make these decisions. Um, it, it, like I said before, credit where credit is due. The government has done well on this aspect uh, and to ensure that we are the leaders in the world on the vaccine programme. But it yeah. is still, you know, with everything still going on with the previous subject as well on um, COVID hotels, there is still a lot of fallout that the government needs to address. Do you know, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, pretty much to the day, I've got um, training. Because I'm, I'm becoming a vaccination person, right? Oh, um, wow. Uh, you can sign up online. Uh, I've gone through this. I had an interview. Uh, it's done for the Central Ambulance. had an interview. I've done the online training. Uh, and I've got some in-person training later uh, in the month. And then hopefully I'm going to be sort of jabbing. Oh, I'm actually not doing the jabbing. I don't <laughs> want to do that. But I'm going to be helping the jabbing left, right and centre. Um, hopefully within the next month or so. So that's really exciting. And um, it, it's it's important to say at this stage that uh, if you were hesitant, you know, maybe you've been asked or maybe someone you know has been asked or whatever, and that they've been hesitant, maybe get them to have a phone call with someone who's had the vaccine. Uh, because you know you're not, not necessarily going to change their mind by seeing what the prime minister says or seeing what someone in the NHS or Elton John or whoever says. Why don't you ring someone up you know who's had the vaccine, have a discussion, ask them your questions, and maybe you'll become a little bit more comfortable about that. Yeah. Okay, so Enoch, we know you, you've got a dash in a mo. Uh, our, our panel is is um, not falling apart, but it's sort of dwindling <laughs> by the second. Um, so I'm sure we'll see you very soon, Enoch. And just quickly before you go, uh, the charity week it is still underway. And uh, you can donate. Uh, it's a Just Giving page, isn't there? Yeah, Just Giving Raw Charity Week. Um, if I, I'm not one of those people who reads out, you know, hey, I'm yeah, here. please don't hyperlinks. But yeah, please just Google Just Giving Raw Charity Week. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, please, please do donate. It's a fantastic cause. Um, and hopefully, by the time this goes out, we'll be very close to reach. Well, let's not jinx it. We'll be we'll be heading towards our goal. <laughs> so Which please course- do help out. It is twelve fifty one. That that's the target. All in the aid yeah. of uh, British Heart Foundation. Okay, you See you later then. See ya. Bye 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 bye. So it's just the two of us now, uh, and we'll be chatting a bit more after this uh, endless me, endless Lee. Yeah, that's it. On Raw twelve fifty one a.m. Endless me, endless Lee on Raw twelve fifty one a.m. By I think it's Bayo. It's B A I O. I would. Say, I, I think it's probably. Bayo. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Okay, it's the Johnny Jenkins show. We're talking uh, the big issues of the week. And actually, let's just divert from the week a moment and talk about the term. Because um, it's reading week as of, well, maybe as of now for you, uh, for, for the next for the next week. And um, it's always a time to uh, sort of take stock. It's often a time to go home or do something a little bit different, have a little bit of a break. And at the moment, that, that's not uh, necessarily possible to mix up the environment. But... Um, it, it, it does just remind us, I think, that, that we need this opportunity to sort of recharge and uh, look after ourselves a little bit, don't you think? I completely agree. I mean, time's gone really quickly since the beginning of the term. I couldn't really believe it was reading week until um, about two days ago. Um, but like many people, I would normally go home for reading week, see family, uh, recharge my batteries, like you said, get some home-cooked food. That's the main thing I miss from this pandemic. <laughs> but, like... We can't do any of this now due to the lockdown, due to making sure that um, we keep 
um, the vulnerable people as safely as possible. And I think one thing we can do is just make sure we talk to people, um, call, FaceTime, go on walks if we can with those who live close to us and to make sure that we don't do as much uni work because uni takes up a lot of our time now that we're in lockdown. I know a lot of friends are already, already burnt out due to constantly being working and working because there's nothing else to do. So yeah, just take time for yourself, read a new book. Yeah, and, and that's important. You know, I've noticed this where I'm at home at the moment and even last term I was traveling in three times a week to campus for a class. And like you think of the traveling time, you know, if you've got class at 10 a.m., it's sort of the first thing you do in the day, isn't it? Whereas when I'm at home, like I can get so much more done before the class. And then I get later in the day and I think, um, oh, I've got too much time on my hands. I need to do more uni work, more uni work, more uni work. And actually, once you think about it, a lot of this time you would be spent traveling you would be, uh, to campus and back. You'd be spent um, seeing friends and um, we've got a bit more time, but we don't necessarily have to fill that with uni. Yeah, exactly. I think with lockdown, everything is uni central and with online teaching as well, it's you're looking for, you go to that and you do all the work. You spend so much time staring at a screen. It's really important that you relax, you know, do a new hobby, go to a park, read a book or go for a walk with friends if you can. Um, I know so many friends already burnt out and it's really important to take the reading week as it is. It's a rest. It's like a half term if you're back in school recharge your batteries um, and trying to focus on something other than just uni because the rest of the term will be hard with essay deadlines exam deadlines you need to make sure that everyone's well-being is looked after and it's sort of all going to happen isn't it like i'm just thinking you know fi both final year students um there's what four weeks left of like actual teaching and then it'll be easter uh, and, and then it'll be like the final term of university can, can you believe it? I, I looked on Tabula the other day because I, I needed to see when the deadline was. So I was planning some uni work and it said we've got less than three months left until the end of the, our degree. I'm not sure yeah. about you, but I've got all essays this year. So to think that I'll be finished in week two of term three, it's incredible. Um, our uni life is coming to the end really quickly. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you uh, you think back all those years ago when you started the degree and how much has changed, how much has happened, not just at uni, but like around the world, you think of, of Corona, for example. Um, and when you when we began the degree, you never just would have ever even considered the thought that, that we'd be finishing the degree like this. Yeah, no, it's completely crazy. Uh, I was thinking just the other day, so I started in 2016, um, and I've been here at Warwick and I've seen two US presidents, three UK elections, a global <laughs> pandemic, uh, Brexit, so many other things happening in just the space of five years. It's It's gone wild these past five years. So much has gone on. I wonder what will uh, happen next. We're not really sure. Uh, that's that's where we leave it today on the Johnny Jenkins Show. A bit more music to come. Thanks so much uh, to you, Leo, for coming on and the rest of the panel a bit earlier on. And I'm sure we'll see you very soon. Cheers, Johnny. Thank you. It's uh, Raw 12, 51am. Uh, this song is called We Don't Win.